Bridge Bank helps breakthrough ideas actually break through and remains dedicated to providing financial solutions to the risk takers, the game changers, and the disruptors. Bridge Bank, a division of Western Alliance Bank. Bridge Bank, be bold, venture wisely. Hey, it's Glenn Washington from Snap Judgment. And if you love what you're hearing, and I know you love what you're hearing, please consider becoming a KQED member. Get special access to cool events, behind-the-scenes footage, and so much more. Plus, you'll sleep better at night knowing you did your part for the community you depend upon. It's in you. Please be in it. Visit donate.kqed.org slash podcasts to sign up now. That's podcast with an S. Thanks. From KQED. This week on the California Report magazine. Ariel Gilbert has always had a lot of hobbies. She used to make jewelry, go bird watching, take photographs, and she loved beekeeping. But at the age of 34, that all changed in an instant. It's like getting jettisoned to another planet. Ariel suddenly lost all her vision felt sorry for myself, was afraid of everything. And I thought, oh, I'm going to have a really long, boring life if I don't do something to change this. It's been almost 30 years since Ariel lost her sight. And in that time, she's relearned everything she used to do before she went blind. And she did it through the power of sound. You're hearing those little, those little bubbles coming off the, front, the stern of the boat. You can hear... The dance, the dance, it happens like in a little circle, and they, they, you'll hear bzzz, 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 bzzz. I'm Sasha Coca, and this week on the California Report magazine, we're going to hear how Ariel Gilbert reclaimed many things she thought she'd never have again. And along the way, we're going to explore what it's like to experience the world using senses beyond vision. This episode comes to us from a partnership with Sam Harnett and Chris Hoff of the podcast The World According to Sound. Sam and Chris visited Ariel at her home in Petaluma. Hello. How are you doing? I'm Sam. Hi. Nice to meet you. Nice to meet this you. This is my partner, Chris. Hi, Chris. How's it going? There were a lot of things I didn't think I'd be able to do again, beekeeping being one of them, because I, I didn't have a concept of how could I do it different. So we can, we can head out to the backyard, or if you want to... Yeah. Yeah. That'd be great. We brought all our stuff in. Okay. I can show you where the bees are. And... Cool. There's so much visual information looking at the the honeycomb, the brood nest, and I didn't think that I could be a good beekeeper without being able to see. All right, cool. All right, let's get to get to business. Okay, I'm gonna just you know, so we have the smoker up there. They take the top off. What is this guy? He's a bee smoker, and 
Yeah, I just have it on standby. I don't smoke my beef. And we've got a good amount of smoke coming through, so I think you guys are... Safe. Cool. Yeah, you should be fine. Priority number one. Yeah. Chris and Sam's. Protect, protect the talent. <laughs> the talent? Who's that? <laughs> I can hear how the bees are behaving, like if they're agitated, like there's, you know, other bees trying to get in the hive, or if it's too crowded, or they're too hot, or too cold. Um, or you can hear if they're just, they're just calm. And in general, what I'm listening for is calmness, you know, just normal sounds, normal activity. It's when they start getting upset and agitated, you, and the volume goes up. Ariel's in her early 60s, but looks younger. She has a crop of black hair and an athletic frame. She used to be a nurse, and with the decisive yet gentle way she moves her hands, you can get the sense that she was good at it. Ariel doesn't hesitate to open the hives and reach down into the humming mass of thousands of bees. Her fingers softly brush against their bodies, and they don't seem to mind. She calls the bees her girls. Ariel got her first hive of them when she was a teenager. I started beekeeping when I was a junior in high school, and I ordered my first bees from Sears and Roebuck, <laughs> and they came in the mail along with the hive. The postman was terrified and had to listen to the bees in the back of the but you know, so he was really anxious to get rid of them. And we, he got to the door, and my mom was there, and he just shoved them in her face and said, "These you bees, lady." <laughs> When I first started beekeeping, I was more afraid of them, too. I, I was geared up with gloves. And, and But definitely, when I worked with my bees, the information I, that I was paying attention to was visual. And now it's the other senses. <laughs> you can hear the dance. The dance, um, it, it's kind of, it happens like in a little circle, and they they. They do, they'll, you'll hear and it's different patterns depending on how far and um, but it, it's very distinct. Ariel's not the first blind person to take an interest in bees. Swiss entomologist Francois Hubert started losing his sight at 15. In the 18th century, he made major discoveries about the lives of bees. He proved that bees use their antennae to communicate that queens mate in the air, and he described how drones were killed at the end of each summer. Those who are blind aren't the only ones listening to bees. Researchers like Tom Seeley at Cornell University are recording them to make insights into their behavior. Tom wrote a book called Honey Bee Democracy. It's all about the decision-making process inside a hive. After we met with Ariel, we called up Tom, and he sent us a bunch of very particular bee sounds. Thank you. 
That high-pitched buzz is the sound of worker bees telling the queen it's time to fly to a new home. The short, high-pitched burst is a bee disagreeing with the decision, essentially voting no. This is the waggle dance. That's the buzzing sound that Ariel was hearing inside the hive. This bee is using the dance to tell the other bees where the flowers with nectar are. Ariel's life is now filled with the beauty and intricacy of all these bee sounds. And that's what originally encouraged us to do a story about Ariel. We wanted to show how something as visual as beekeeping could be done through sound. But as we were packing up our recording gear to leave, Ariel started telling us about how she lost her sight. After spending the day with her and her bees, what she told us is not the kind of story we expected to hear. You're listening to the California Report magazine. I'm Sasha Coca, and today we've been visiting with beekeeper Ariel Gilbert at her home in Petaluma. She lost her sight 30 years ago when she was a nurse, and she's had to use sound to relearn how to do everything she did before abruptly going blind. It happened all at once. Um, I came home from the night shift at the hospital. I used to work at Martin General. And my eyes were kind of sore from the air-conditioned environment, so I stopped off at the pharmacy and bought some over-the-counter eye drops. And unbeknownst to me, they'd been tampered with, and they had drain cleaner in them instead of eye drops. And it was a, an immediate life change. Unfortunately, I'm, being a nurse, I just, you know, opened both eyes and went drop drop and it it was too late and um it definitely i found out what i was made of i have to say i didn't handle it well probably for about the first six months felt sorry for myself was afraid of everything kind of closed myself down to uh, it was like you might as well be dead because i wasn't (laughs) i i I just wasn't doing anything except listening to music. And I didn't think I could do anything. And um, I really literally woke up one day and started projecting out what my life would be like because I had always had a really active life and and going on in the direction I was was not working. <laughs> and I thought, oh, I'm going to have a really long, boring life if I don't do something to change this. It was a, a long process of healing and, you know, thinking that getting hope from the doctors that I might get some sight back, but it, there came a point where, you know, it, okay, we've done what we can do and th- this is what you're dealing with. Wow. Did anyone ever figure out what happened with the eye drops? 
The best that they could figure out was the factory closed two weeks after the bottle had been produced and that it was a disgruntled employee because they completely closed the factory. And um, there was another person that lived in Hawaii that also was affected by the eye drops and they pulled them. Um, and so as far as I know, it's just the two of us. And at the same time, I know it was back in the late 80s when this happened, and there were Tylenol tamperings going on. So they think you know it was also kind of like copycat Tylenol tampering thing. Ariel lost her eyesight in 1988 when she was 34 years old. There isn't much information out there about the incident. Ariel settled with the company that made the eye drops. And as part of the deal, she isn't supposed to go into details with the media about what happened. We found one newspaper clipping in the LA Times. It's just a short article, one paragraph. Here's what it says. The FBI and the Federal Food and Drug Administration are probing an incident in which a nurse was blinded by eye drops contaminated with a caustic chemical. Her left eye looks like it melted, and her right eye looks like it's covered with white glue, said Richard Critchlow, an attorney for Ariel Van Z. Miller, 34, of Fairfax in Marin County. Critchlow said 80% of Miller's left cornea and 60% of her right cornea were destroyed, and doctors do not know if she will ever recover her sight. Ariel later told us that her marriage at the time ended when she lost her sight. She also wasn't able to work as a nurse anymore. Her old hospital gave her a job developing x-rays. She says that was the only place they were comfortable having a blind person work. Ariel would sit in an 8 by 8 dark room all day, developing film. It's been over 30 years since Ariel lost her sight, moving in a single instant from a world with vision to one without it. Somebody had violently taken away her vision and turned her entire world upside down. At first, she was in total despair, which, after six months, reached a breaking point. That was a point for me where I made the decision, no more feeling sorry for myself, no more hiding, no more being afraid, because I'm allowing whoever this person was to still hurt me. A lot of it for me was about the transformation and moving on and getting accustomed to a whole new life. It's like getting jettisoned to another planet. I knew that blind people got around with long white canes and guide dogs. And so I went to the state school for the blind over in Albany, lived there six months and learned braille, long white cane, how to, you know, orient myself. I learned activities of daily living, got back into doing exercise, learned a lot of basically tricks of being blind. But those were just the basics. They were important for Ariel, but she still didn't really feel like herself. That all changed when she got the courage to do something she thought she'd never be able to do again. Go rope. So I rode while I was in college, and then I... I got back into rowing pretty quickly because a friend of mine, she came by one day and said, I'm taking you rowing, you don't need to see to row, and you're not going to argue with me. It was super scary because I couldn't even walk through the house at that point. It was, I hadn't even been blind maybe, maybe four or five months, and it, I was afraid to move, I was afraid to do every, anything, and I got in the boat, 
It didn't take too many strokes before it went from feeling scary to, oh, <laughs> this feels good. <laughs> you know, just, uh, you know, being able to move my body again and, you know, move through space and, you know, push against the footboards and was just such a gift. And I never stopped, I never looked back. <laughs> be outdoors and you know being surrounded by the salt air and the wind and the, you know a little spray off the water yeah just that all the tactile and auditory information you're hearing you're hearing those little those little bubbles coming off the front the stern of the boat it's a a complete experience. Rowing was the first big step in regaining what she felt like she'd lost in her life, and many more things followed. You know, um, as I've been blind, things that I had eliminated, like bird watching, um, photography, things that I thought were strictly visual, I've circled back and brought them back into my life and found different ways of approaching it and still being able to enjoy it. Getting back to these hobbies was a triumph, but they're just a small part of her life. Ariel fell in love again and remarried. She went back to work and has had a number of positions at a nonprofit called Guide Dogs for the Blind. She was an active volunteer and has traveled extensively. It's been a full life. How a person goes blind can be a point of morbid fascination for those who are sighted. It's often one of the first things someone blind gets asked. But focusing on that one detail flattens a person. It can distract you from really getting to know them and the richness of how they experience the world. We fell into that trap a little bit in this radio story ourselves. I mean, it was never supposed to be about the poisoned eye drops, but about how Ariel Gilbert has used sound to become a beekeeper. Ariel says when she was sighted, she never realized how much information and beauty there was in the sound of bees. So when we mentioned that we were planning to go to a big commercial apiary in California to make some recordings of millions of bees, she was excited and wanted to come along to listen. But Ariel's not been in the best health as of late. Years ago, Ariel donated one of her kidneys to a friend. The friend got the kidney and recovered, but the surgery didn't go well for Ariel. There was a rare complication that caused her remaining kidney to start failing. She'd been able to manage it for years, but now her kidney's taken a sudden turn for the worse. Ariel's had to spend a lot of time at home and has been kept from many of the things she loves, like rowing. To survive, she now needs someone to donate a kidney to her. Since Ariel couldn't come with us to the commercial apiary and hear all the bees, we wanted to bring the bees to her. So we went out and made this recording for her to listen to. There were millions of bees at the apiary, blanketing the entire meadow. 
their tiny bodies flitting in and out of the hives. It was a beautiful thing to see and a beautiful thing to hear. Sam Harnett and Chris Hoff bringing us Ariel Gilbert's story. Sam and Chris produce a podcast called The World According to Sound, and we're teaming up with them here on the California Report magazine to bring you sounds and stories that explore the rich ways blind people experience California every day. Sam and Chris's project is a partnership with the Lighthouse for the Blind and Visually Impaired in San Francisco. It's a nonprofit that promotes the independence, equality, and self-reliance of people who are blind or have low vision. We asked the Lighthouse's director, Brian Bashan, to listen to Ariel Gilbert's story. Hi there, Brian. Hey. So tell me a little bit about your reaction to Ariel's story. What'd you think? I thought it was powerful. I think the story captured some of the more subtle parts of the way blind people live in a way that may not be obvious or known to the general public. Now, Ariel's story isn't entirely typical, right? Because she lost her sight very suddenly. How do most people lose their sight? Are most people born blind or do they lose their vision later in life? Only about 5% of people are born blind. The great majority of us lose their vision somewhere along in life, mostly as adults. And it's not from one cause. There's probably a dozen causes that make up most of how people lose their sight. So yes, people are fascinated by how we lose our sight. It is a important thing at the time that it happens. But then what's, what's really important to us is what do we do afterwards? We live in a world where we want to get good tools and we want to find ways to combat discrimination and we want people to actualize themselves and be the best people they can be. How we went blind is a very short moment in our lives, and what we do with it, now there's the real story. You know, as a culture, we are so visual. I mean, you can hear that in our language. It's the way we say, nice to see you, you know, show me how to do that, look at this. How do you show someone who's lost their vision that there is more to the world or more ways of, of seeing than just that very literal sight? Yeah. Well, you start out with the fact that almost everybody who becomes blind doesn't know any other blind people. So the key thing about learning how to become an actualized blind person is just to get contact with capable blind people who are living their lives. But it's really about attitude. It really is about going into the world saying, I don't know how to do this, but I'll figure it out. I have a right to work, support a family, to become whoever I want. And even though the general culture is completely ignorant about how we do things and what our solutions are, there are people out there who have figured it out. That's why there's a lighthouse or other organizations wherever you are in order to make those connections so people can believe in themselves and move forward. You know, Brian, sighted people sometimes have this idea that people who are blind 
have some kind of super hearing powers or are better at listening. Yeah. If you measured a blind person's hearing, they would come out just the same as a sighted person's. What's different is that I pay attention to it. I heard that refrigerator kicking on in the background. You may not have. And I think I'm probably not a good measure though, because I am a radio person, so I'm super attuned to things like refrigerators. But yes, most sighted people probably wouldn't. I mean, I love that about you. I don't often have interviews with people where they go, I heard the refrigerator kicking on too. Yeah. Yeah, I love sound people that way uh, because they, more than anybody else, share that matrix of presence. So I may not see anything that's going on. Uh, But why do I like to go in nature? Because there's a three-dimensional matrix of inputs. There's sound, there's smells, there's the wind, there's time as things change. I pay attention to all of that as I populate my savoring and appreciation of the world. Um, To a sighted person, blindness may seem like a loss or a deficit. It's not a deficit model. Um, There's so much richness in the world that a brain, even in blindness experience, can't possibly savor what's coming in all the time. It's really beautiful. I mean, that's sort of what's wonderful about Ariel, too, is, you know, she can hear the dances of the bees, and she can imagine this intricate maze of the hive through sound, you know, and through her other senses, through tasting the honey. That stuff's all there. It's the province of a little bit beyond the direct experience. It's the meta. It's the uh, uh, province of poetry sometimes. Brian Bashan is the director of the Lighthouse for the Blind and Visually Impaired in San Francisco. Thanks, Brian. It's my pleasure. Stay tuned next week for part two of our collaboration with the podcast, The World According to Sound. Stories from people around the state who are blind or visually impaired. The focus is not so much on how they went blind, but on how they experienced the world and daily life here in California. Nobody else in my life had ever lost sight, so they just didn't even know what to offer. When you're blind, you start to recognize how people walk in their cane taps, and so you can recognize the sounds down the hallway as somebody else passing by. When I play a concert, I hope that people just listen to the music and at some point maybe in the beginning of course they'll be like oh my god she's blind but then hopefully they'll forget that and they'll just have the sound no matter what card deck we get dealt in life you know that uh, it's uh, not what you got dealt it's how you deal with them plus we'll take a trip around california the only way we know how to in radio entirely through our ears That's the California Report magazine for this week. Today's show was brought to us by Chris Hoff and Sam Harnett with the podcast The World According to Sound. In partnership with the Lighthouse for the Blind and Visually Impaired in San Francisco, as well as California Humanities. 
California Report magazine is a production of KQED Public Radio in San Francisco. Our technical producer is Seal Muller with additional engineering from Rob Spate. Our director is Susie Racho. Victoria Maleone is our senior editor, and our intern is Asala Sanapur. Our editorial team also includes Vinnie Tong, Ethan Lindsay, and Holly Kernan. I'm Sasha Koka. Thanks for listening. This is the California Report magazine. Your state, your stories. Support for the California Report comes from California Earthquake Authority, a not-for-profit offering earthquake insurance to help Californians protect their financial futures. For more information, go to earthquakeauthority.com. Eric and Wendy Schmidt whose Fund for Strategic Innovation supports transformative ideas that benefit humanity while protecting the natural world, recognizing through science the interdependence of all living systems. And the James Irvine Foundation, committed to a California where all low-income workers have the power to advance economically. Learn more at irvine.org. Hi, it's Terry Gross, the host of Fresh Air. We bring you in-depth, long-form interviews with actors, directors, musicians, authors, journalists, and more. Listen to our Peabody Award-winning Fresh Air podcast from WHYY and NPR. Hey there, this is Brittany Luce from NPR's It's Been a Minute. KQED's podcasts like The Bay, Bay Curious, Mind Shift, Right Nowish, and more all tell the stories of the Bay and beyond with reliable, human-centered journalism. They aim to inspire, make you think, entertain, and expand your understanding of the place you call home. Here's how you can support podcasting at KQED. Showing your support is easy, and you can join Brittany in supporting KQED Podcast too at donate.kqed.org slash podcast. That's donate.kqed.org slash podcast. 